Um, and honestly, I'd put our milk quality up against anyone and we are constantly striving to do better. Is there things that we want to improve on? Yes, absolutely. Could everyone do things a little bit better? Yes. But I think the overall sentiment is working towards the right direction. Welcome to the Wellness Witch Podcast. I'm your host, Samantha Gladish, and I'm excited to take you on a journey to reclaiming and reconnecting to your magic, the magic of your health, your wealth, and your soul's purpose. As a woman's wellness coach and business mentor, I've been coaching women for over 15 years, helping them rediscover their innate abilities to heal, to transform, and to manifest their deepest desires. I'm excited to bring you a weekly dose of inspiration and information, diving into the multifaceted approach of what it means to live to our fullest potential. Let's do this. This is a Soulfire production. Welcome back, everybody. I hope you're doing amazing and feeling amazing. Before we dive into our episode today and I share all the juiciness around this very important episode and very educational episode, I wanted to plant a really quick seed here for you that if you head on over to iTunes or Spotify or whatever podcast platform you listen to us on, and if you would be so amazingly kind to take one minute and leave us a five-star review, take a screenshot of that review send it over to Nikki over on my team at support at holisticwellness.ca. She will send you off our free three-day hormone healing meal plan. It is full of delicious recipes, lots of variety in there. And again, just email that screenshot over to support at holisticwellness.ca. Your reviews and ratings mean so much to us. It actually helps our podcast reach more women globally. And that's what we're really here to do. So I would so appreciate your support in that. And in doing that, I'd love to gift you one of our delicious meal plans. Okay. Switching gears into our episode today, I am interviewing Tara Vander Dussen. She is a new Mexico native, a fifth generation dairy farmer, an environmental scientist, and a mom of two girls. And we dive into animal agriculture, its impact on emissions, dairy and nutrition, We talk about the impact of dairy and the sustainability of it, consuming raw dairy, but also conventional dairy. And Daniel, her husband, he actually manages all day today on his family dairy farm. He's also a fifth generation dairy farmer and they married each other. I love it. And Tara really has her own career as an environmental consultant, speaker, online agricultural advocate, and she's a podcaster. She's had the opportunity to speak at national and global conferences about dairy sustainability, including speaking at the United Nations Food and Agricultural Organization Committee on world food security, and also at Forbes Ag Tech Summit. And she's the co-founder of Discover Ag. It's a docu-series and podcast that shares relevant and captivating conversations in agriculture so people can better understand the food system and connect with the hands that feed us. And I absolutely love that. So you can definitely check out her podcast, Discover Ag, if you want to dive deeper into this conversation. You could also follow her on Instagram. She shares so much value and info. You can follow her at Tara Vanderdessen. And this is an important conversation because there's so much misleading information. And when it comes to dairy farm farming, Tara actually really their farm is considered a conventional farm um, and conventional dairy. So she really breaks down a lot of the myths surrounding hormones and antibiotics and like all this fear mongering around consuming dairy. So I'm really interested 
in this conversation because number one, I want to be schooled on it and I want to be more informed and what better way to understand and become informed by actually interviewing a fifth generation dairy farmer. And she's also very well versed in environmental science. We dive into really what people need to know, what people need to know when it comes to farming and cattle and dairy and its impact on environment and the problems with things like Beyond Meat and Frankenfoods and the carbon footprints of milk versus milk alternatives. What's really important to know at the end of the day is that we all have choice. And whether you want to consume milk or not, that is totally okay. And if you want to consume Beyond Meat and if you want to consume milk alternatives, that is totally your prerogative and totally your choice. But regardless, I think that at the end of the day, it's important that we just have education and information around dairy farming and sustainability and understand really more about the impact of animal agriculture on emissions because there's a lot of misleading information, fear-mongering going on right now. So I really wanted Tara to be here and break it all down for us. So without further ado, let's dive in. Enjoy. Hello, Tara. Welcome to the Wellness Switch Podcast. Hi. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to talk with you today, to share with your audience. I have been diving into all things the Wellness Switch Podcast, so I'm excited to be here. (laughs) Amazing. Well, that means a lot. Thank you so much for being with us. I am really excited about our conversation today. And before we officially dive into that, Can you share a little bit more about who you are and what you do with our audience? Yes. So um, my name is Tara Vanderdusen. I am a fifth-generation dairy farmer, and I married a fifth-generation dairy farmer. So there is dairy, like, all over the place in our families. (laughs) Um, I actually live about 200 steps from our dairy barn. So, like, my backyard is literally our close-up pen where our cows are calving. Um, So there's never a dull moment in my backyard at any given point. Um, And then professionally, I actually um, got my degree in environmental science and have been working for the last 10 years as an environmental consultant for the dairy industry. So I have a number of dairies as my clients, and I help them with any kind of state and federal permitting and regulation, um, any kind of sustainability projects, just really thing in the water, manure management, soil health side of things. And then um, the last several years, I've spent sharing online and just kind of trying to give a new perspective about dairy and cattle's impact on the environment. Amazing. I love that. Well, I'm super excited you're here today because I think we all need to be schooled on this. We And you are the person to, to really educate us on animal agriculture, its impact on emissions, because I feel like there's a lot of misleading information. I know right now, like where I live in Canada, there's definitely this agenda that I am seeing being pushed right now against animal products and this really big push towards quote unquote Franken foods and fake meats and how cattle and you know animal agriculture is impacting the climate. And I know that there's this whole plan coming forward that the government wants to push with climate change. I don't know what that all looks like yet, but I can see this whole marketing agenda leading up to it and how they're really trying to fear monger people into, you know, eating, um, eating more f- fake foods essentially. So 
yeah, I, I'd love to chat about animal agriculture, like what we don't know and how it really is beneficial for our environment. Yeah. I mean, I have to agree with you. I feel like there is this kind of like anti-meat narrative, like globally that is yes. being pushed. Yes. And, um, a lot of it, I, I, a lot of it goes back to that fear-based marketing and I hate to see it. I mean, everyone's guilty of it, but it makes people have so many questions around their food. And I hate when I hear that people are afraid to buy a certain type of food because of something they've seen. I believe that people should have confidence right. in the food they're buying and be able to make the choices they want and know and really feel good about them. So I think the hard thing is, is cattle's impact on the environment is a very nuanced conversation. There's so much that goes into it. It's a complicated system and it's truly like an <laughs> integral part of our food system. And you can put a splashy headline out there that says, you know, like cattle are killing the planet or something like that. And then it takes, you yep. know, all of us going back and giving all this research and information to really get people to see like the truth behind those misleading headlines. And it makes it just makes it start with such a difficult place of a conversation. Because right, it, yeah, it's just not that simple as, as a headline, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Totally. Okay, so take us through. Just take us through what what do we need to know? What do we really need to know about animal agriculture and how it impacts the environment? Where do you want to start with this, really, that you think is like some foundational things for people to understand? Yeah. So I think I'll start on the beef side of things, actually, is a lot of people assume that they have to buy grassed finished grass-fed beef in order to get like beef that is good for the planet. And I love to tell people that actually a majority of our cattle, whether they're conventional or grass-fed, actually spend the majority of their life, about two-thirds of their life, out on pasture. Uh, typical, you know, like cow-calf operation, like what we think of as raising production, you know, beef for our food supply system is cattle out on pasture. And one of the things about that, because one of the things that then gets kind of misled is, oh, cattle are taking up so much land. A lot of the land that cattle are grazing on is what's called marginal land. It is not suitable for growing crops. It cannot have row crops. It probably can't have vegetables. You know, this is, I think of my, I have a podcast called Discover Ag and my co-host is in Nebraska. She's a cattle rancher in Nebraska. Nebraska is not going to be where we're growing, you know, avocado trees or lettuce. It is these marginal right. lands that are, you know, the sand hills and the Great Plains. And they have honestly supported ruminant animals for centuries, thousands of years, hundreds of years, thousands of years. Um, and so cattle are actually really well suited to graze on those lands. And it's a great like a use of our resource by having those cattle out on pasture. And so that's kind of on the beef side. I also think one of the other things with beef that gets misrepresented is water use. 94% of all water use for beef cattle is actually what's called green water or rainwater. A lot of people, when you talk about water use, they kind of, we think of like the water we turn on in our faucets, right? Like our fresh water coming out of a river or an aquifer. We don't think of rainwater. So a lot of times I think those numbers get skewed because like rain is going to fall from the sky onto those grasslands, whether there's cattle there or not. The cattle are able to turn that water and those grasses that we can't eat into a really nutrient-dense food for us. And those are just some of the pieces of the conversation that often get overlooked in this, like what cattle's role on the environment is. Right. So isn't it like less than 2% or even less than 3% like that livestock, livestock impacts emissions 
or greenhouse gases by less than, I think, 3%. Yes. So I th- it's all of animal ag, which would include like poultry, um, hogs, dairy, beef, is about 4% of total U.S. greenhouse gas emissions. So you're talking about a very low number. And I would assume numbers are pretty comparable in Canada. I North America actually has the lowest carbon footprint for a gallon of milk out of anywhere in the world. So that's Canada, United States, and Mexico combined. So we actually have some really great numbers. And I think one of the things, though, in this conversation is we get really carbon tunnel vision and we focus just on carbon emissions when cattle's impact on the environment is so much more positive than just what they admit. Um, You know, if you have cattle range like out on rangeland or out on grasslands, um, that can help play into the natural wildlife and biodiversity uh, that, you know, that's a, a natural habitat then for other ruminant animals and other animals, you know, whether that be smaller animals, like you think about foxes and coyotes or larger animals like deer, antelope. Totally. And we don't, you know, we don't always talk about that. Yeah, that's really important for sure. So what do you think is really happening here and why there's such this push against meat? Like, what do you, what do you kind of foresee happening here? I think it's a combination of things. I think it's like almost a perfect storm. We have a lot of people that are curious about where their food comes from, but don't have a solid foundation for agriculture. And so you have people that are very interested in where their food comes from. But if you don't have some of the basic like knowledge and understanding, it's really hard to build on that. And I think it can, then you can easily be led in like different directions and be marketed to, and especially that fear-based marketing. I mean, it works. There's a reason people use it. There's a reason marketers Mm -hmm. use it. It plays into our very core of wanting to, you know, feed ourselves, feed our families, good food. Um, and when you're afraid of something, you know, it, it just brings up questions that you're, you don't feel comfortable with. Um, I, you know, everyone when getting into this conversation is always like kind of follow the money. And we were just talking on our podcast right. today about dis- on Discover Ag about how people think sometimes choosing plant-based options means that they're supporting like local or smaller companies. And that's not the case anymore. Some of these plant-based like quote-unquote alternatives are owned by large food companies. Like it's, I don't, I think it's marketed in a way that makes you think it's something different than it truly is. For sure. No, you're, you're definitely right. Um, when it comes to plant-based products or even things like a lot of monocrop or soy, like what's the problem with that? Yeah. So I do think that when you're having plant-based conversations, um, a lot of times, like I hear from, you know, vegans or people that are just plant-based that they want to reduce like, um, animal, like they don't want to be a part of like, you know, consuming animal protein. Um, I think one of the Mm -hmm. things that people don't always understand is when you're row cropping or mono cropping, it takes a, it's a large impact on that ecosystem. You are, you know, tilling into the soil, you're planting, um, you can be disrupting the natural wildlife. And that's not to say like, I don't want to demonize row crops or monoculture because obviously those go back to feed our cattle. I just don't think people always, I think when people think about vegetable production and any type of vegetable production or plant-based production, they think it's not as like of, um, They don't think of it like as intensive farming when it is. They think of animal ag as intensive farming, but not like harvesting our vegetables. When in reality, like there is, you know, they're both utilizing technologies. They're both, you know, it's intensive farming no matter which way you look at it. Right. Okay. Good point. So I've been hearing a lot how some countries are asking farmers to destroy 
their livestock, um, for countries to start, you know, cutting way back on meat and dairy consumption. What do you think, like, what will happen if that's actually the case? What's going to happen to our environment? Yeah, this is such a- Let alone our health. Yeah, that, like, we have not even touched on the health side of this yet. Yeah, but, um, for sure. It is so frustrating because one of the things is uh, we talk a lot about local sustainability versus global sustainability. And so if you have a nation, let's, you know, I know Ireland right now has kind of a push for this. If Ireland decides to cut animal production, animal protein production in their country, it doesn't mean that the people in Ireland are going to stop consuming animal products. It also doesn't mean the people that they export to, I mean, Ireland is a massive exporter of animal proteins, that they're going to stop, that those people are going to stop. So all it's going to do is move those emissions to another country that will pick up that like gap in the marketplace, essentially. And one of the things that really frustrates me about this is if you cut animal proteins from these countries that are doing it really well, really low emissions, like we just talked about how low emissions are for a gallon of milk in the United States, beef is similar. Um, you're kind of going to be cutting like the technology and innovation that's going on in those countries. And so instead of trying to help other countries improve their emissions, like take the resources and the knowledge that we've learned in our developed nations and help developing nations, you know, improve animal production there, we're like removing that technology, removing that option by just cutting it. And all we're doing is displacing those emissions to another country. Uh, and so I just think it's like problematic in two folds of that uh, in that way. Yeah, definitely. For all my Canadian listeners, I have something really exciting to share with you. If you're looking to get your hands on your everyday staples, things like your collagen, your probiotics, your vitamins, your minerals, your fish oils, and your omegas, head on over to orangenaturals.com and use the coupon code wellnesswitch at checkout to save 15% off. Orange Naturals is actually a sister company of Canprev, and I really love them for their herbal tinctures. So not only do I use some of their everyday products, but I love their immune health tincture, cough and cold tincture. They have ashwagandha specific for stress support. They have a really great liver health tincture, milk thistle, heart health, all sorts of tinctures that you can use, and they have some really great kids' products as well. So head on over to orangenaturals.com, use the coupon code wellnesswitch to save 15% off at checkout, plus you will also get free shipping on orders over $50. I'm so excited for you to save and get your shop on and get your everyday supplement staples. If you're looking to support focus, performance, and hydration, Organifi has this great new product called Peak Power. It contains bacopa leaf, lion's mane mushroom, guayusa leaf, and it has green tea. So because the green tea is in there, you're getting 100 milligrams of plant-based caffeine, but you're loading up with polyphenols and antioxidants, which really help to mitigate the negative side effects of caffeine. So this isn't going to cause issues with your hormones or adrenal fatigue or energy crashes or jitters. Now, let me tell you in full honesty, when I tried this product, I didn't realize there was 
was 100 milligrams of plant-based caffeine and I had it with a cup of coffee. So I went to do my workout and here I am feeling jittery and feeling a little anxious and wondering why my heart was racing so fast. That's because of too much caffeine. So this product is perfect on its own. Do not combine with an additional cup of coffee. You are going to have the perfect pre-workout. I've been focusing on more heavy lifts lately, and this has just been an amazing product. Plus it's going to really help with hydration as well. So I'm a really big fan because there are a lot of very questionable pre-workouts on the market and using something that actually has really clean ingredients and has some really great adaptogens as well is is really amazing plus the hydration of coconut water you have some himalayan pink salt in there which is going to give you some great sodium and potassium so definitely check out peak power head on over to organifyshop.com use the coupon code wellnesswitch and save 20 percent off from the health perspective you know let's let's dive into that a little bit cutting out animal products what um yeah what do you see happening there yeah i think that one of the things that people think if when you say like to go vegan or to cut out animal protein is that you know everyone's going to be eating like lettuce and avocados and all of these amazing foods and i just don't think that's the reality of like the world we live in right. i think isn't it something like right now like 65% of our diet is plant quote unquote plant based so nice. I don't think like cutting out a nutrient-dense, low-calorie food, like we don't necessarily need more calories, especially in the United States or developed nations. We don't need more calories. We need more nutrient-dense foods. So the thought of cutting entire mm-hmm. food groups that are nutrient-dense, like dairy and beef, I just, I'm like, how do we not see that as problematic? You know, like it almost seems like you're like, totally. I'm like, how is this an argument anymore? I agree. I totally agree. It is wild to me. And I mean, you know, being in practice for so many years and working with so many women across the board with different health issues, I have seen it time and time again, women who are on vegan diets and are super nutrient deprived, have so many more dental issues and cavities because they're not getting that saturated fat. And it's not about not eating plants. It's about finding the balance between all of it. And I definitely am an advocate for including animal products. I've, I've seen the difference it's made in thousands of women that I've worked in, but also, you know, with my own health. So I, um, I think one of the pieces of this too, I know I was just listening to your episode that was 234 and you were talking about getting 30 grams of protein per meal. And that's something I try to live by is 30 grams of protein. I've been really trying to pick up my animal protein in each meal to reach that goal. And one of the things we don't always talk about with plant-based protein is it's not as bioavailable. You have to eat more of it. Even if it says that it has 10 grams versus 10 grams of like cow's milk, it's not the same like quality protein or bioavailable. And I think that's where a lot of times we go wrong is we think we're substituting like equal parts, like even, you know, the milk alternatives, you think you're like subbing like a milk for a milk. When, when you break down the nutrients, that's just not the case. And you've got to fill in with other nutrients. And sometimes that can, a lot of people can do that really well, but I think it takes very good knowledge of what actual nutrients are and really making sure you're, you know, including a variety of foods and not just, you know, subbing out as if equal parts. Totally. I 100% agree. Um, Can we talk a little bit about like what really needs to happen for climate change when it comes to animal agriculture. 
Um, can we talk a little bit about that and take us through that? Yeah. So I actually think agriculture overall, not just animal ag, is really uniquely positioned to actually be a climate solution. Like I truly believe agriculture will be what helps us kind of like get out of this problem that we've created. Um, I think there's a ton of opportunity. The more we learn about soil health, carbon sequestration, that the more we realize that we can have an an impact on making a difference. Um, When you get into really like the conversation around CO2 versus methane, we often hear methane has like higher warming potential than CO2. Um, But methane breaks down in our atmosphere and is taken up by plants so much quicker than CO2. And so for animal agriculture, by lowering our emissions, we can have almost an instant reaction of being able to help with reducing our impact on the climate versus CO2 taking a thousand years is if we stopped CO2 production right now, it's going to take us a thousand years before we see that breakdown in the environment. And so I think this is why it's so crucial for not just animal ag, but like the farmers to be at these conversations around um, climate change so that we can be kind of on the same page and like working towards the same goal. You know, I think there's like this misconception that like farmers... I don't don't care about climate, which I mean, if obviously if you've ever like met a farmer or talked with them, they obviously do. Climate in, impacts us all every single day with us, how we raise our For cattle, sure. how we grow our crops. And so we've got to be a part of that conversation so we can be working towards a common goal that really makes sense for actually impacting climate change instead of just having these greenwashed conversations about the environment. Got it. Now, would you say like, there's definitely certain farming methods or like conventional processes that are happening within animal agriculture that aren't great. Like there's definitely farmers that can be doing it better. Like, have you seen this, you know, in, in your work? Yeah. So I think now would probably be a good time to say, like, if you came on my dairy or I, you know, talked about how many cows are milking, I would say we would fall into that quote unquote factory farm. Like that's what we do. We milk up just under 2000 cows at the dairy. I'm currently sitting on them at my house. And that's like really makes a lot of people nervous. And we're conventional dairy farmer. We sell literally to the, just to the grocery store. Actually, most of our milk goes to cheese and it's Walmart brand cheese. It's cheese at Subway. Like it is just your basic cheese. Um, And honestly, I'd put our milk quality up against anyone and we are constantly striving to do better. Is there things that we want to improve on? Yes, absolutely. Could everyone do things a little bit better? Yes. But I think the overall sentiment is working towards the right direction. Uh, This dairy we're on, we actually are installing solar panels. Our barn will be completely solar powered in the next couple of months. We've had a few delays. It should have already been there by now, but that's the way it is. With, mm-hmm. I feel like post-COVID world, <laughs> everything is a little slower than it's supposed to be. Um, but yeah. those are things that we're working on. We're trying to actually work on. My husband and I sat down with our co-op and figured out our carbon footprint. And we looked at where we compare to other dairy farms across the country. We looked at how we could do better. Um, so we're actually trying to work on implementing some carbon uh, practices that would make us carbon neutral. This is, we could geek out on this for literally like an hour and not even scratch the surface. There's some really cool things happening in, um, uh, talking on the dairy side of things, uh, new technologies, things that we're able to feed our cows that help reduce methane. So I would say 
we are all working on that. There's obviously the big push for regenerative ag right now. And even our conventional dairy is implementing some of that. We try to be minimal till and really evaluating when we actually need to till and trying to reduce that. Um, we're just learning more about how our soil works. Uh, we currently do what's called double cropping or for some people cover cropping, where we're keeping something on our fields year round to keep those soil microbes active. So these are all things, whether you're organic, conventional, regen, we're all learning from each other and trying to better our practices across the board. Yeah, that's really important. Um, it's an evolution, right? Yes. I think that yeah. we can't just like, I think we like as ag as a whole, again, it's a food system. We can't just instantly change the entire system. It is an evolution of us being able to work towards those common goals and being able to put new practices into place, make tweaks to old practices, whatever it is. I feel like there's a saying that um, in dairy, we talk about it, that when we're talking about reaching carbon neutrality, it's not everyone has to do everything, but everyone has to do something. If everyone makes some kind of... um, progress. We're working in the right direction. And actually dairy has a really good track record. In the last 75 years, we've reduced our carbon footprint by 60%. We've reduced our land use. We've reduced our water use, the amount of fuel we like need to produce. We have really great numbers. It's just continuing that momentum forward. For sure. I saw that you had posted something about cows wearing masks <laughs> on your, yeah, on your Instagram. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. I mean, people are trying all the things right now to try to reduce yeah, methane right. emissions and I am all for technology and progress. I think the mask idea maybe is missing the mark a little bit, but at least there's <laughs> right. innovation and technology happening. But the idea with the mask is that it would reduce the methane emitted from cows um, personally on our dairy, we've actually been looking at implementing like, um, worms that would break down methane in the manure. So, I mean, literally there's a thousand ideas out there of how to address methane emissions. Um, so while I did a good tease about the cows and mask and understanding the practicality of that, <laughs> I, I do yes. um, believe in us trying different things and seeing what works. I love that. So can we talk a little bit about the carbon footprint of milk versus milk alternatives? You actually did post something that was really interesting about cashews that I saw. Yeah. So I'm sure there's a lot you can take us through there because as, as you know, like milk alternatives, it's a booming market. And I've recently, I'd say in the past two years, you know, I definitely fell into, I guess what you could call the diet culture trap. Um, and, you know, came to this point of just really starting to question, like, why am I eating and drinking these alternatives that have all these additives and all the healthy fats are removed and the healthy proteins when I could just be consuming like a raw or organic dairy and So I'd love for you to take us through that. Yeah. So one of the things I love by starting with is I believe in food choice. If there are people that want to pick an alternative, I truly believe you should have that choice, but it's making an educated decision. If you are choosing an alternative because of X, Y, and Z, I want to make sure you have your facts right. So I always use almond milk as an example. If you're wanting a low calorie option in your coffee, almond milk is a great choice. It's a low calorie option. If you're trying to meet your protein requirements, almond milk is not a great option. So like knowing the ins and outs of that. Um, But yeah, there's a ton of misrepresentation in these conversations. 
I am a big advocate for instead of having uh, carbon emissions per say gallon of milk. So you would, you see there's like an, um, a great like meme or graphic out there that's like shows you the carbon emissions for cow's milk versus almond milk versus oat milk. And cow's milk is really high on that chart. If you instead break it down by per gram of protein, it instantly changes the entire conversation. I don't think it's accurate to compare a glass of cow's milk to a glass of almond milk or another alternative on greenhouse gas emissions because cow's milk is almost a full meal. Like you could essentially have a glass of milk and be getting the nutrients you need. So it's when you really look at the nutrient density of it, that's what I think we should be looking at is carbon emissions versus nutrient density. Because if you're going to need to go out and get protein then from someplace else, you're going to have more emissions to get that new daily protein requirement. Does that kind of make sense versus like yeah, totally. just comparing the cow's milk? And then I also think like, yeah, the cashew milk is, I have just scratched the surface of the cashew milk, but a lot of people think um, by choosing an alternative that I've seen a lot of advertisement that's like harm-free, quote unquote. And if you get into the cashew milk, actually cashew production at all, it is very like harmful. (laughs) It's harmful to the people that are producing it. It's harmful. There's an acid that comes out and burns their hands. It's a lot of, um, you know, uh, women that are working in it that are working in terrible conditions. Um, and so it's just like, it's not, I, I hate that label of like harm-free slapped on things when there's a lot more to the story than what kind of meets the eye with some of these things. For sure. And I mean, even I think with almonds and water production, isn't it like incredibly high? Yes. A lot, um, a lot of water for almond production. And again, that's not to say like producing almonds is bad. Every single food on our planet takes resources. It just is when we start pitting different pieces of ag against each other. Like I really dislike that part of the conversation everything is going to take resources. That even goes to lab-grown meats. I see these lab-grown meats that say they're better for the environment. They will take resources to produce them. It's going to take, you know, a factory that has climate control. It's going to take inputs that are, you know, feeding these cultured cells. Like every single thing, if you're growing something, it's going to take resources to be able to grow it. For sure. 100%. Now, I know that you've mentioned you've been, obviously you've consumed dairy your entire life and raw dairy as well. Can we talk a little bit about that? And I know there's definitely a lot of fear around consuming raw dairy and let's kind of go down that rabbit hole. Yeah, I'd love to. (laughs) So I um, now drink conventional dairy. I I literally buy the cheapest thing on the shelf. Um, A fun fact actually about dairy in the grocery store, it is one of the most local products you can buy. It usually is less than a hundred miles from the farm to the grocery store. And it usually gets from the farm to the grocery store in less than 48 hours. So some really cool fun facts about dairy. But I spent um, actually the majority of my life drinking raw milk. Um, I drank raw milk all the way up until my first pregnancy. So I was 25, except for the few years I was at college just because of access. Um, So literally getting milk straight from my farm, um, my husband's farm, whenever I got married. Ultimately, when I had my first daughter, I kind of started just researching more, diving into it. And it was a number of different factors why I chose conventional. Um, One of the things too with having kids is I didn't want to make that decision. Like if my kids had friends over, I didn't want to be making that decision for their parents. Like, oh, you can't like, here's raw milk. I didn't want to be serving people raw milk without like parent consent. Like, I think that's something that you've got to think about a little bit. 
Um, ultimately, I personally didn't think the pros outweighed the cons for our family. And this one is probably the most majority reason is my husband would always forget to bring milk home from the farm. And it just got to the point that I was like, you know, it's just easier to grab it at the grocery store when I'm at the grocery store. Um, But it goes back to that food choice thing. I believe people should have food choice. I think that they should know they can feel safe with having the milk at the grocery store. That's what I feed my family. I know exactly what goes into producing it, and I feel confident about that. But if people choose to have raw milk, I think they should have that option. But it goes back to education. I think they should educate themselves on knowing where that milk is coming from, how it's being tested. Of course. Making sure you have clean bottles, I think, is really huge. Um, That's actually something I've seen a lot of. It's not the milk that's contaminated. It could be that you didn't have a sterilized bottle. Um, Lots of different things. And I think the biggest thing, if people have a bad reaction to raw milk is do not like blame olive milk. Like maybe that there was a singular problem or your body reacted to something because one of the things I see, and I've seen this my entire life is if someone gets sick from raw milk, they write off olive dairy and they tell everyone they know. It's just like when you go to a restaurant and you have a bad experience, right? And that is the frustrating thing to me is you have to go in kind of knowing what you know. Um, when I was pregnant, my doctor actually recommended, like, if for some reason you had a, a stomach bug or you thought you had a stomach bug, especially since I was pregnant, and say you went into the ER, make sure you tell them you consume raw milk. So that way they know to look for things. Because a lot of times our doctors nowadays aren't educated on some of those things because we've kind of phased it out of our society. So just being, like, aware of things like that, I think, is really crucial if you choose to consume raw uh, dairy. For sure. No, good points. And so, you know, you mentioned you have a conventional dairy farm. And so for those who are like organic is better, what have you really seen to be true across the board here in terms of maybe nutrient density or quality? Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So one thing about organic is it's actually a farming practice, not like a health claim. Typically, it really goes back to what the farmers are practicing on their farms. So in a conventional dairy, we are able to give antibiotics. Um, If we give antibiotics to a cow, she goes into what we call our quote unquote hospital pen. That's what we call it. And she is milked completely separately. 100% of that milk goes down the drain. Then there's a withhold period. So when she stops having antibiotics, we have, depending on what type of antibiotics it is, um, she continues to be milked in the hospital string until that withhold period is up. So it can be like 10 days. It just depends how fast it breaks down in their bodies. And um, again, that milk never enters the food supply system. We actually test every single tanker of milk that leaves our dairy for a number of different things. And we test it all the way to the parts per billion, which is like current scientific levels. If any antibiotics were to um, like come up positive in that, we have to pay for the entire tanker of milk. And it's again, discarded. We are not, it does not enter the food supply system. It's checked again at the plant. Um, It's checked throughout processing. And then they do randomized samples at the grocery store as well. So organic, on the flip side, um, typically with organic, they are not allowed to use antibiotics at all, ever. And um, cows have to spend so long out on pasture. And so there's just some different requirements there. Um, And it just, I think that really goes back to understanding those farming practices and choosing which one, like, you align with. And then uh, just kind of understanding, like, the, the nuanced conversation there about, like, antibiotic use versus not 
it just depends on what you're comfortable with. I know people who aren't, do not believe in organic because they believe cows should be treated if they're sick. They should be given antibiotics. There's people who believe right. we should be more preventative and so that they never need to get antibiotics. There's lots of different camps there uh, and just understanding those differences. As far as nutritional differences, there is not a significant nutritional difference between organic and conventional or even grass-fed um, dairy products. The biggest one that typically comes up with grass-fed milk and beef is the omega-3s. Is that It's omega-3s, right? Yep, yep, yep. The thing about that is there is a difference, but it is both and milk and meat are not places they're not good sources of omega 3s. So if you're looking for a really good source of omega 3s, you'd be better off turning to a salmon versus trying to get omega 3s from a grass-fed milk. Um, grass-fed cow that produced milk. Um, so those are there's not a ton of nutri- uh, nutritional differences, but there is slight. Uh, and again, like if that's something that's important to you, that's a choice. You know, I'm, I'm glad that we're able to offer that, um, in the grocery store as well. Of course. Awesome. Thanks for breaking that down. So as a consumer, like what do you want consumers to know? What is it that I should know when I am choosing animal products? What, you know, tell us, give us some insight there. Yeah. So I think probably my biggest thing is that I want you to feel comfortable choosing any of the products on the shelf, like even the beef, um, you know, a lot of the beef in this country I mentioned, you know, conventional beef actually spends a majority of its time out on pasture. So if picking up the conventional beef at the grocery store is with what's within your budget and within your lifestyle choices, I don't want people to feel bad about that. If you want to buy directly from a rancher who's, you know, producing the cattle and that you know their name and you're able to connect with them, I think that's incredible too. That's just not always within everyone's budget um, or even availability. Uh, So I think just being able to have that confidence in your food that you're choosing is everything. It's something we spend a lot of time talking about on Discover Ag is just being able to provide people with information so that they can make sound science decisions based, you know, knowing the science, but then based on cultural preferences, um, societal preferences, and just what works for your family. I love that. Well, that was really great and super insightful. I was going to ask you my last question of like, you know, what do you really want people to know? Like if there's one thing, what might that be? I would say get out and find a farmer and, you know, social media these days, it has literally opened up all of our worlds in ways that we could never even have imagined. Find a farmer that you can follow. Find a couple of them. I mean, you know, there's obviously a million different types of farmers that grow a million different products, but um, just connect a little bit back with the the farmer. I think that goes such a long ways. We have a lot of on-farm tours and it's just amazing to see how people leave, like with their opinions changed, with how impressed they are. And I wish we could give that to everyone. And I feel like social media is, you know, that's the option right now of being able to open up our farms in in new ways. But being able to just ask a farmer your questions and, and seeing what they're doing, understanding why they do what they do would just, I think, open up the dialogue and have such more meaningful conversations between consumers and the farmers. I love that. I love that so much. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. Where can our audience find you and learn more about you? Yeah. So if you are listening to this, you probably love podcasts. You can find our podcast, Discover Ag. If you're on social, you can find us at Discover Ag underscore, or you can follow my personal page at Tara Vanderdusen. 
on Instagram. And um, like you you saw me there, that's where we connected. And I try to just share some of the facts about dairy farming, sustainability, animal ag. So I hope you guys will check it out. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. This was a great conversation. I, I hope people found it valuable. Absolutely. I'm, I'm excited to share it with our audience because just like myself, it's more having more knowledge and more education around it versus just, you know, making an opinion without really having the education. So I appreciate your time. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you everyone for tuning in today and being with us. I really hope you learned a lot. And if there's anybody that you feel can benefit from today's episode, we would love it if you could share it with them. If you'd like to check out more about Tara, you can follow her, Tara Vanderdusen on Instagram. She shares so much information and reels and content that that's really how I found her. And I just started really learning so much more and really educating myself. And I wanted to bring her here today to share all of her amazing knowledge and insight with you. So thanks again for tuning in. Chat with you all next week. 